0: Hello, I'm Tony. And I'm Patrick. And we want to welcome you to Cave to the Cross Apologetics. Today we're going to be continuing our discussion on Mitch uh, Stokes' book, How to Be an Atheist. That's right. And uh, we worked our way now after our introduction last time to Chapter 1. And in this chapter, what um, Stokes does here is he tries to give us an idea of what a good skeptic looks like, Mm -hmm. right? And, of course, uh, from the history of philosophy perspective, probably the the best skeptic that he can choose is David Hume. Yeah. And Hume was a skeptic. He lived in the 1700s. And so he's going to be um, Stokes' example mm-hmm. of what a good skeptic looks like.
1: And right? we see it too: um, people in the uh, pro atheist community, um, you know, knocking on. On Humean's door, yeah. and, and <laughs> it's say, actually and, opening, and, it right? <laughs> and, and saying, uh, "This is my guy. This is my guy." So yeah. we we want to take them at their word and uh, and check out to see uh, what they uh, claim to believe. Yeah, see if they yeah. actually
0: believe it. Yeah. So how do we be a good atheist? Well, we need to be skeptical. And what's our prime one prime example of skepticism mm-hmm. is David Hume, right? Yeah. The great, he calls him the great David Hume provides us with the best example of this science uh, science induced skepticism. Right. His writings were generally sophisticated, iconoclastic, and Promethean, and he's been a champion of skeptical unbelievers ever since, as you've just alluded to. Mm-hmm. All, right. All right. So, most specifically, he says, we'll see uh, that uh, y- folks do follow Hume, as you suggested, our atheist friends, mm-hmm. but they don't usually follow Hume in the skepticism about causality, induction, the material world personal identity and morality and yet hume questioned all of the or allowed us to question all of these types of things right right, right. yeah all right so then he talks about um alexander rosenberg uh the eight he wrote uh, the atheist guide to reality who attempts to follow Hume. he believes that rosenberg for the most part is is um a sincere attempt to be this kind of skeptic that hume you know lays out for us mm-hmm. <laughs> he tries yeah, yeah. so um He eventually found his way, Rosenberg, uh, uh, Stokes tells us, this is what he says, It took a few years, but by reading David Hume, I, that is Rosenberg, was able to figure out the mistake preventing science from satisfying me. The mistake, as Hume showed so powerfully, was to think there is any more to reality than the laws of nature that science discovers. But once Hume showed Rosenberg that science tells us all there is, the pieces of his atheistic worldview fell into place. Mm-hmm. So that's what Rosenberg claims, right? Hume showed him that all reality is, is just what nature tells us. In other words, only the natural world is what rea- what takes up reality.
1: Yeah, so naturalists, so th- they believe that anything physical is what's real and anything that's not, you know, see, taste, touch, sense, perceived uh, is not, uh, is not
0: real. Right. So only our sense perceptions, what we mm-hmm. can perceive, uh, you know, uh, is, uh, in the nature is, is what's real. Yeah.
1: Right? So the mind, morality, uh, numbers, um, you know, uh, d- different things that, that we kind of take for granted as, as existing or hope to exist or, uh, reason up to, or maybe not reasons the, the right word, but, uh, uh, just being a product of the universe that we live in. Um, most things that we think exist, or we take it for granted as existing, don't exist. So things like stars, bacteria, um, o- other people, but we can't say that the mind or other people's minds exist. They are fluctuations of chemicals that produce a personality. Right. And you can, you know maybe only be sure of your own
0: yeah yeah or or not or or not yeah (laughs) yeah, because only the natural world exists right yeah so he says most so he says you know uh he says most atheists think that rosenberg gets things right when he says that science tells us there is no god but he says uh, as he alluded to few follow uh, rosenberg to the conclusion that atheism leads to anything goes morality so the problem is uh, Rosenberg questions morality right? Mm-hmm. because it's not a physical thing why right? here's what there's a quote he gives us is there a God this is from uh, Rosenberg right is there a God no what is the nature of reality what physics says it is what is the purpose of the universe there is none what is the nature of life ditto why am I here just dumb luck is there free will not a chance what is the difference between right and wrong good and bad there is no moral difference between them. Why should I be moral? Because it makes you feel better than being immoral. Is abortion, euthanasia, suicide, paying taxes, foreign aid, or anything else you don't like forbidding, um, forbidden, permissible, or something obligatory? Anything goes, mm-hmm. right? So he believes that most atheists follow Rosenberg with regard to the, you know, the physical, empirical world. But they don't want the anything goes morality. Right. Well,
1: and, and we've seen people like Dawkins try and make this claim too. But then, in the same breath, talk about loving his wife, yeah. and then you know trusting that she's you know faithful to him. And uh, you you can't really get that. And there, there's no again, there's no basis for uh, not going out and robbing the bank, punching your neighbor, uh, uh, taking his children as slaves. Not uh, all that is permissible in, in, uh, Rosenbaum, uh, Rosenberg's, um, uh, exercise of his Right, because
0: game. if the physical universe is all there is, and an action is just an action, it's just an action. Right, right. One action is there isn't no right or wrong, good or bad, because that's only what I feel or what I think, right. but an, if a rock rolls down the hill, that's an action. If somebody, you know, if I punch right. somebody, that's just an action. Yeah. It's what I feel is what Rosenberg says about it that kind of makes me think there's right. a moral stance. Not right.
1: to say that there aren't repercussions, that other entities exist and could throw you in jail, yeah. but the, the fact that you can say no, this is wrong or this is immoral. Um, e- even here to say uh, there is no moral difference between them uh, um, or uh, because it makes you feel better uh, than being immoral. Mm. Even those kind of sneak in a little bit of, well, what do you mean by immoral <laughs> yeah, if those yeah. words don't really exist exactly. exactly. Yeah, I mean, if, if yeah. you're classifying two things, um, you know by, by what by what basis are, are you making a judgment call to say? Well, this one seems more immoral than this one. Right. right. Well, th- this one seems like it would keep me out of jail, which then I could do more bad things, but then, you know. Is, but again, we have yeah. to
0: question what do we mean by bad. Right. 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 Yeah. Anything things, that keeps right,
1: me yeah. in jail so, is bad. Y- yeah.
0: So and we also though have to be careful about the consequences of the of the boulder rolling down the hill because because it could squash me. Right? Sure,
1: sure. But we we wouldn't point to the boulder and say that's evil Eero boulder. Evil, yeah. yeah, yeah. We would say oh that's tragic. It's but just an action yeah. that
0: happens in a physical world.
1: Right. So so you know um, uh, starvation, uh, children dying, um, uh, nuclear holocaust. Just those, actions th- th- that th- happen. Those in are things. Physical. Those world. are things. Yeah,
0: that's it. Yeah. <laughs> So, notice Rosenberg, I mean, uh, uh, our our friend Stokes there, Mitch Stokes makes the point, almost all the atheists then believe that atheism is entirely consistent with objective moral laws, and he says, I think things are just the opposite. I do not think science shows there is no God, nor do I think that atheism is consistent with an objective ethical standard. Mm -hmm. Now, he's going to deal with ethics later in the second part of his book, but he's Right. laying his cards out on the on the table mm-hmm. as it were before here right all right so then he moves to what he calls the experimental and this is in quotes mm-hmm. right the experimental method like most intellectuals of art of his time Hume was wildly impressed with newton's that is isaac newton's new philosophy right today we call that not you know uh, natural philosophy, which is what it was called mm-hmm, then, right. today we call it science. Right, right? so we yeah. use a kind of a Latin derivative of the idea of natural philosophy.
1: Right. Uh, predictive theory, uh, experimentation, uh, conclusions based on those uh, experimentations leads you to refine your theory. So. Good,
0: good. Or yeah. what he suggests here is that there were two main aspects of this new philosophy, both of which attested to the uncanny cognitive powers of our minds. One was the use of mathematics and the formulation of natural laws, right? Amazing <laughs> that we were able to attach, you know, all these mathematical intricacies to what was going on yeah. in the physical universe. Mm-hmm. I mean, just amazing, you know. It was just, it blew people away. Yeah, right?
1: well, and and in, in college-level physics, you, you learn Newtonian mechanics, and then you take your calculus classes, and you see mathematics matching up to what you learn in physics. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, you learn that Newtonian mechanics—you know, the the, the three laws—is out the window because Einstein came around. And uh, they they teach you, oh well, you know, they're good enough. They get yeah, you to yeah, pretty much enough. the they right thing. They got us things. to the moon, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. But uh, and, yeah, but Einstein so. was the one that carried us over. So <laughs> even there, we see, you know, okay, we're supposed to trust in science, science, science. But science has moved us along. So what we called science before was wrong, but it's good enough but now we have a new science yeah so how, how do how can we trust a science that continuously moves forward uh the the process is still there but our beliefs when we say oh this is true uh you know f equals ma yes it's true good enough but einstein comes along and says actually there's more to it than that right and that becomes the new paradigm
0: right yeah. So the question is, you know, what do you mean by this is true? And what? Well, it's approximately true. Well, what in the world does that mean? <laughs> yeah. Right? yeah. So so in this, so he makes the case here that mathematics is something that you do only with your mind, and yet it tells us something to a certain extent true about the world outside of our mind, right? So the the issue then is mathematics then can't remain in our mind if it's going to be used in science, right? It must answer to the world, right? It must describe and predict behavior that we can observe if it's going to do what we want it to do in the scientific process, mm-hmm. right? And so so that's the that's the basic issue with regard to um, the experimental method. So notice, mathematics then uh, must ultimately earn its keep, he tells us, by matching observation. And he says, Hume was aware of this and though the mathematics was a substantive part of the new philosophy it was only through its connection with the sensible world that Newton revealed its its true power so it had to be connected with the sensible world otherwise it wouldn't it wouldn't help us mm-hmm. at all right yeah.
1: we see four apples and so we believe that there are four objects that we term apples in front of us so.
0: right right if we take one away we believe that there are only three so that's so Therefore, the math tells us that four take away one is three, Mm -hmm. right? And so he says that, um, uh, but what Newton uh, has done so far only uh, for the inanimate world, that is, for the physical world, Hume wanted to extend this particular method beyond natural science to what he called moral philosophy, Mm -hmm. right? And so for Hume, knowledge of the world must be grounded in experience. Science had turned him into an empiricist, and... um, of course, he wasn't the last convert Rosenberg calls empiricism the official epistemology of science. Epistemology here is the study of the nature of knowledge. Yeah, how we know things. How we know things. Mm -hmm. And so empiricism, our sense experience, is how we come to know things. It is the epistemology of Mm -hmm. science. All right. So with that as a background Rosenberg has given us, now he's going to question... Three All pillars. <laughs> yeah. The three main pillars that we use to come up with this. So mm-hmm. he's going to question our sense experience, right, as a good skeptic. Yeah. Should do, right? He's going to... Should we trust our senses? Should we...
1: Uh, we look down the train tracks, they come to a point... Should we trust that they do come to a point? Yeah. Or should we walk <laughs> down and see if they ever come to a point?
0: Secondly, he's going to question uh, the uh, notion of induction, which is a logical notion that we'll get to in just a mm-hmm. second. And then finally, he's going to question reasoning. All reasoning. Yeah, all, all of the reasoning, <laughs> right? As a good skeptic, because again, you know, in this chapter, he's trying to tell us what does a good skeptic look like. Mm-hmm. Well, a skeptic has a thorough and consistent skepticism, right? This is the general skepticism that he's been talking about that we, he introduced mm-hmm. to us at the beginning. All right, so the first one is skepticism about sense impressions or sense perception, right? Our senses. And so he says, suppose you're hiking through a mountain near your house enjoying the way the green uh, conifers stand out against the gray sky, the uh, craggy cliffs, and the distance you see a strangely twisted tamarack tree about ten feet away. In actuality, he says, you're really seeing only an image, he tells us, right, of that tree, an image that is behind your eyes and behind your skin. The tree itself clearly isn't in our head, Mm -hmm. right? There's no little tamarack tree in our head, right?
1: Although the light theoretically it bounces off the tree hits our eye and actually gets reflected so we what our brain perceives as an upside down image that it turns right side up right but it's not the tree it's just an image right yeah and it's
0: and it's and it's on its head mm-hmm. is what you're saying yeah, what you just described, w- what
1: right? we're seeing on TV isn't actually the the people it's uh, photons hitting the screen or those are the old tube ones right, but right. Uh, <laughs> it's it's diodes lighting up in certain um Patterns. intensities yeah. that create a pattern. Yeah. You're not actually seeing people on the screen.
0: Yeah, yeah, amazing. Yeah. Right. But it sure you know, but we think that's what it, it does is, look right? pretty good. So he says, Of course it seems for all the world that we're seeing the tree, mm-hmm. or with your T V analogy, right? The people. Mm-hmm. Um but that's only because our optical faculties, including the mind and its construction of the image, are remarkably advanced, right? So here's this first issue. Uh, the most we can say about the tree idea, he tells us, is that it is merely a representation of the tree. Mm-hmm. So this is, uh, he calls this representationalism. Sometimes in philosophy it's called representational realism. Right? We only see a representation. The idea in your head stands for or represents the tree, but it's not the tree. There isn't a little tree in the back of our head. So that's the first thing he wants us to know. Secondly, he wants us to know uh, that... Um, There's something further, he says, we believe about the tree idea, namely that it resembles the tree in important respects. It looks like, in quotes he puts, Mm -hmm. the tree. But then he says, why should we think that? (laughs) Why should we think, right, that it looks like what we think the tree is, Mm -hmm. right?
1: Well, and and we we see that especially um, uh, Hollywood has forever Change the way that we look at things because when you see representation of a camera uh, a a, um uh, a shot that a camera is is taking in uh you don't see depth and so people can do tricks with a camera by putting people in the foreground making them seem bigger and people in the background to make them seem smaller so then you have the giant towering over the (laughs) the little person and all you've done is just move a distance yeah so your your sense perception says oh that's a little person and that's a giant but that's not at all what it's representing it's there are theoretically two people (laughs) of the same size that are just standing different distances from the camera
0: right so the question is our sense perceptions can fool us they can trick us or we don't even know whether they're fooling us or children, <laughs> right. Right? Yeah. He says, you know... Uh, we should be skeptical yeah, of it. Yeah, exactly, and mm-hmm. that's the point he's getting at, right? Uh, you know, we could be having a vivid dream, we could be a... and here's a philosophical, you know, illustration that's, you know, uh, that's used ad nauseum, a brain in a vat, Yeah. right? Or as
1: <laughs> how most people kind of think of it, you're stuck in the matrix, in, in the pods, yeah. as, as the battery-generated yeah. power.
0: All right, so so that's all our representations could be. How do we trust them? How do we know? How do we determine the accuracy of them? Right? You know what? uh, How do we know it's it's true what we're looking at? That's what. That's the skepticism that he wants Mm -hmm. us to be aware of with regard to our sense perception. Right now he tries to meet a couple or he gives us a couple of objections to this point that we can't trust we need to be skeptical about our sense perception the first objection is uh, is that first one down there he says that um, you might object he says that you're pretty certain your ideas resemble the world out there because your senses have so far kept you alive <laughs> look yeah patrick your senses have kept you alive so clearly you know
1: it tells you not to run into the tree because it's there it's going right. to hurt if you do exactly. so you should trust for all the other times that you didn't run into the tree now the time not to right run into but this. notice
0: if you run into the tree and it hurts you that's that is just a sense perception mm-hmm. right the physical presence of the tree is a sense perception mm-hmm. right and so here's the question He says, unfortunately, this objection won't work. The only way you know that you've done all these things is through the very senses you're trying to vouch for. You're arguing for the credibility of your senses while using their own credentials. So
1: this is a circular argument. So you're, you're trying to say, look here's my senses it it it's making me sense things like running into the tree therefore we should trust our senses
0: yeah exactly right Right. so so how do I trust why do I trust my senses well because my senses tell me I should trust my senses (laughs) right yeah Yeah. that's it that's like saying you know how do I know that Kalamazoo is in Michigan well because Kalamazoo is in Michigan
1: right right circular right (laughs) and so if if we were to have a bad argument on our perspective why do we believe God exists? Well, because God says he exists. Right. Okay. Right. If, if they, if, if the other side can use that same argument and, and get the same, uh, you know, result and, and say, that's good enough. Then me saying that God exists because he says he's exists. should uh, be good enough. Sh- should be good enough.
0: Now, now what you yeah. said is slightly different because this, this empiricism argument says the reason why I know my sense experience or I trust them is because of my sense experience is a direct circular argument. What you said is that I believe that God exists because God says or tells me he has exists is not as vicious as mm. a circular argument as this, as what he's pointing out here. So
1: right? God exists because God exists? Now much. that would be, yeah, that <laughs> yeah. would be it. I because clearly God exists. God because exists. Exists. God exists. Yeah, yeah okay. Yeah yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Again, though, you know, the same issues really kind of uh, is what he's getting at mm-hmm. here, right? All right. Well, he says... Uh, Suppose, however, that you're undaunted. Look, you reply. Perhaps I can't know for certain that I'm not a brain in the vat. He calls it a B-I-V. Brain in vat, yes. But what's more likely? There it is, right? Right. What's more likely, that I'm a brain in a vat or that I'm really in front of a tree? Unfortunately, he says, this doesn't work either, Mm -hmm. right? He says, uh, after all, you judge which scenario is more likely, the brain in the vat as opposed to the real tree based on the other things you know and for all you know you're a brain in the vat and so how do you know those other things aren't just part of the brain in a vat, vat experience right, right? So, so
1: we have people who um we would say because of uh, a mix-up in brain chemistry or, or something along those lines uh, claim to be napoleon yeah. or <laughs> jesus or anything else and so wh- why do we say that they're Insane or or crazy for believing those things, or, or wrong for believing those things. Is it possible to have the that same type of of uh, reality? Uh, why is our side the the supposed insane side saying that's incorrect? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know if 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 we're um, brain brain in vats, right? Uh, yeah. BIV now remember, is, he's
0: getting at physical reality, Right. right?
1: Um, then, then we should also say that that's entirely possible for them to be uh, reincarnated Napoleon or, or, or multiple Napoleons that are coming about. That's
0: right. Because, yeah. So here's it's, clearly, he says, of course, right, you'd be insane, that's the point you're mm-hmm. making, right, to believe you're a brain in the vat. But that is much different from arguing that you aren't, (laughs) right? In other words, arguing is giving a good reason. And the only good reason we have is based, at least from this perspective, on our sense perceptions, which is a circular reasoning. We're using our sense perceptions to justify our sense perceptions. And he's saying that doesn't work, right? Right. So whatever, he says, the point is that Hume helps us to see that we have no good reason for believing that our ideas resemble the world outside our minds. Wow. Right? Now that is, you know, that is skepticism. That's consistent skepticism. There's not a good reason to believe that our ideas resemble the world. This is a microphone, or at least that's what, you know, my perception of it is. Could be a picture of a microphone. could be a hologram
1: of yeah. a microphone. All well, right. and, and we saw that Hawking's claimed to believe this. We see that Elon Musk at least uh, thinks that it's more likely. Um, we see Neil deGrasse Tyson claiming that it's more likely that we're just in a simulation. So we're, we're not really experiencing reality. Although he's, you know, all, all these people are scientists who are, you know, doing things that you know, if you're just a brain brain in a vat, uh, you know, in the matrix, you know, why do science? Why figure things out? Those things aren't actually real that you're figuring out. You're just figuring out how the code of the matrix works.
0: Yeah, yeah. So skepticism with regard to uh, physical reality or what we would call sense perception. Our senses can be questioned, mm-hmm. right? We may be a brain in a vat. We may be in a vivid dream. How do we know? That's a pretty sticky wicket to get around, right?
1: <laughs> and you can't then go rely on your senses because that's the thing that you're trying to, to use or to prove. So
0: it's not a good argument, right? right you're not say.
1: good. You're not justified in, in yeah, using it.
0: Good, yeah, yeah. And so he says to echo uh, Quine, which is another uh, 20th century philosopher, the Humean David Hume, right? The Humean condition is the human condition, <laughs> right? So there we are. We're in this condition, right? All right, the next one he wants us to look at is skepticism about induction. Right. Right, so this one is about what?
1: So uh, he says, for in addition to direct experiences, we must often reason from that experience. We frequently use our brains to reason from old beliefs about the world to new beliefs about the world. This reasoning process can take many forms, but in general it's called inference. So uh you're you're walking along you come to the edge of a cliff and you kick a rock down and you see the rock falls well if you take another step you should induce that you will likely fall as well right
0: right
1: but why why should we believe that
0: that's the that's the issue we
1: saw the rock fall but we didn't see us fall right so we should just wildy coyote as long as we don't (laughs) look down we can keep going don't look down you're good right yeah
0: in other words, it, we've never actually seen ourselves fall, or right. we've never actually seen that we will fall. Mm-hmm. If we're just basing it on our sense experience, right. which is what the skeptic mm-hmm. wants us to do, then we haven't seen the future yet, and so how do we know what the future right. will be like? So, so again, it's it's
1: what our experience, uh, what our senses are telling us, not what uh, the science scientific process of going, well, I think this will happen well then you have to test it out and and senses your senses
0: but wait a minute it happened in the past that's true Mm -hmm. right but that doesn't mean anything with regard to what things change
1: right or 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 what we're predicting as patterns uh, end up changing so uh you know when you have uh, kepler and and them witnessing the, the the bodies in the sky and they go along and they go along and then they turn around back on themselves oh Our model is telling us something different so just because it was going in the westward way all of a sudden it's it's doubling back on itself which we weren't expecting so why should we trust induction when things like that could occur
0: so the the idea of induction is it's happened before in the past therefore probably it'll happen Mm -hmm. again in the same way in the future and he's questioning if, is that a good uh, way to reason?
1: Right, and 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 so if if we bl- live in a universe where we believe that evolution occurs, we should assume that things are changing all the time. So our brain chemistry, our our makeup, we should imagine that we're evolving into something uh, more suited for our environment. The universe could be, you know, ha- having a, a, a bigger hiccup in the heat death, and mm-hmm. so uh, you know uh, the speed of light could dramatically. Uh, sh- shift in, in speed, and things could change because of that. We could go from uh, living today to not living tomorrow. The sun could uh, all of a sudden, you know, use up all its energy or explode. Mm-hmm. There's 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 nothing really there to, to give you the confidence to say what happened yesterday should be happening today.
0: All right, I call it, uh, it can be called the turkey problem, right? The farmer went out, per, uh, bought uh, to the market, Bought a brand new newborn baby turkey. T- took him to the Kirk, uh, to his farm. Put him in the turkey. I don't know coop, pen, whatever. It is, but turkey said right. And the first day, fed the turkey right. He went into the shed, got the feed, came out and fed the turkey. He did that the second day, the third day, the fourth day, the. Fiftieth day, the hundredth day, went into the shed, got the feed, come out and gave it to the turkey. Right, so the turkey, you know, is is getting bigger and bigger. The two hundredth day, the three hundredth day, went into the shed, got the feed, gave it to the turkey. The three hundred and fiftieth day, went into the shed, got the feed and gave it to the turkey. Right, the three hundred and sixtieth day, the three hundred and sixty first, second, third. On the three hundred and sixty fifth day, he went into the shed and came out with an axe because it was thanksgiving well, of course <laughs> yes. and so we will be turkeys if we absolutely hold that nothing ever changes mm-hmm. right that's the turkey problem yeah and, we, and that's the problem of induction now he doesn't spend a whole lot of time with this because this is a pretty common problem and most uh, philosophers anyway are, are aware of this particular mm-hmm. problem
1: but we do see scientists have this belief in uniformitarianism. What happened yesterday informs what happens. They, today. they
0: almost are forced to do that mm-hmm. in order to do science. And yet the, the issue he's making is we need to be skeptical about that. Right. Because there's not a good reason to believe that the future will be like the past. Right. right? All right, and then uh, (laughs) finally what he does here is give us uh, skepticism about reasoning. Oh,
1: man, this Uh, one's the hard one, right? Yeah. (laughs) Because to kind of start out, you're always reasoning.
0: Yeah. In fact, what he says is, now in all this arguing for skepticism, Hume is using his reason, right? And so it had better not be inductive reason or he's in trouble, Mm -hmm. right? But there are other kinds of reasoning that he suggests here that we need to be aware of, um, uh, three of them, uh, that he mentions unfortunately, with, unfortunately says with respect to any kind of reasoning at all, inductive, deductive, abductive, things, again, look pretty dismal, just like they did for our sense experience and just like they did for, uh, you know, induction, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, So inductive, deductive, and abductive. He says, when it comes to our inferences, there's always, says Hume's, the possibility that we've made a mistake. So that's Hume's criticism of reasoning, right? Now, he doesn't like that. He doesn't think it works, right? You know, Hume says that some measure of doubt, um, to our conclusions, no matter what they are, even if the doubt is minimal, and therefore we should be skeptical skeptical about them. Uh, again, uh, Stokes doesn't think that that's, he's not entirely satisfied with that, but he does think that the point should be made. What's the point? He says uh, there's a much more troubling problem with reason. Even if we ignore the calculus, uh, you know, these doubts that we have, still, um, we still never have a non-circular argument for reason's reliability. Why? Why? Well, to offer any argument for reason You use it. (laughs) You're using reason, right? right? (laughs) All right. And to use it, we must first trust it. Right? And so I believe so, he says, that I may understand. So again we have this circular problem. In order to justify reason, we have to reason to justify reason. But the thing that we're trying to justify is the thing that we're using that's a circular argument. Circul- the problem with circular arguments is not that they're bad. It's just that they don't tell us anything. They're empty. They're, they, they, uh, you know. It's, it's like I said before. Um, how do I know that Kalamazoo is a city in Michigan? Well, I know that because Kalamazoo is a city in Michigan. Mm-hmm. Well, that doesn't tell me anything. That's not a good reason. To- if I had, If I was skeptical about it, that wouldn't, you know... Uh, sway me with regard to an argument mm-hmm. right and so when we use reason to justify reason we're <laughs> reasoning in a circle
1: right right, right. We're, we're, we're using the thing that we're trying to prove yeah. and unfortunately it's i think it's the question right we're, we're we we kind of have to step outside of the universe yeah in order some to, kind to, of way. to get there
0: we have to have some external person to tell us that this is the way things have to be. Otherwise, we're kind of stuck in a circle.
1: So maybe kind of a a supreme being (laughs) that may have made this too? Yeah, Mm
0: -hmm. same way with our sense experience, Mm -hmm. right? How do we trust them? We can't if all we're we're using is our sense. It's as if we need someone outside of the sense experience to say, yes, your sense experience is authentic and it is trustworthy.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and can be checked or... Uh, when you use reason, there's a a uh, an understanding that you can know the universe. the 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 fact that that we believe that we can know things about the universe or predict things, uh, kind of puts an assumption within the universe itself that this this blob of matter and energy uh, has has no ability that we can know things. Why why is that even the case? What why why can't it be tomorrow? All of a sudden, the universe clicks off in, in in the opposite way, and all of a sudden you can see in the dark and, yeah. and not see in the yeah. light.
0: And there's no good reason other than, well, it hasn't happened like that right. in the past, yeah. right, to tell yeah. us that, right? Yeah, so, so what, uh, he, he, he ends this chapter on what he calls the importance of safety inspections, right? According to the Standard Intellectual Rules of Engagement, if we have to take reason at its word, that is... That is, we have to take reason at its word because that's all we have. And so we have to take it not based on a good argument, he's suggesting, but we have to take it by, you ready? Faith. As a good skeptic,
1: I would not like that. (laughs) Yeah, right. Uh,
0: He says, this is one of the most important ideas in all philosophy, and it's crucial for understanding the inner workings of debate. By definition, we have disagreements... Because we believe different things, but no two of us have entirely different beliefs. We share a host of them, and the game rules depend on such beliefs. There will be times, however, when we disagree on the rules themselves, and that's what makes a world of difference, Mm -hmm. he tells us, right? So Hume was right. There are no non-circular arguments for the reliability of our senses. There are are no non-circular arguments for the reliability of our reason. In fact, he includes memory or any other of our cognitive tools. And so he tells us that in the course of this book, we'll see other implications of Hume's safety inspections for science and morality, especially. Mm-hmm. right? And uh, he says, but in this chapter and next, he's focusing on our cognitive, that is our mental facilities, mm-hmm. right? All right, so that is uh, that is chapter one. He wants us to be good skeptics. And as good skeptics, we need to question the reliability of our sense perception, the reliability of induction that the future will be like the past, and indeed the notion that we don't have a good reason For reason, right? right? A non-circular reason to trust reason. We've taken all our tools away. Yeah, wow.
1: So where Uh, do we go from here? Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Right. And we will go from here next time when we look at Chapter 2, right? He's going to look at our cognitive abilities. This chapter is called The Believing Primate, and he's going to consider, do we have a good reason to trust any of our cognitive Mm -hmm.
1: abilities? We're just just monkeys who believe in things. Yeah. (laughs) That's what we'll be back uh, next week, so um, join us then for... Uh, Mitch Stokes, How to Be an Atheist. Why many skeptics aren't skeptical enough, including with their senses.
0: Thank you.